Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to my friends do dope shit. I'm your host, Sasha Exeter. And today I am fangirling hard. I have the mega talented actor, writer, executive director, and holy hell, the ridiculously gorgeous Amanda Bruegel here with me today. It is so nice to see you. Thank you for making time for me today. You're welcome. It's such a pleasure to be here. I'm so proud of you. I mean, you are killing it. And so this is, I'm just as excited to be here because it's really important for, you know, driven mamas to connect and support one another. 100%. So it's been an absolute joy watching all your success and watching you soar. And it's so so deserving. I am in awe of you in your professional life and I follow you closely and I'm in awe of you as a mom to your two kids. But you're back here in Toronto and you're filming Handmaid's Tale. So the show's been obviously super impactful. And what do you think your show may be teaching us in the world today? I mean, everyone says it's a cautionary tale. I don't even really think it's that yeah. cautionary anymore. I feel like it's it's more reflecting the current times that we're in. At the beginning, when we first started shooting, we started shooting before Trump was elected. We believed it was going to be mm -hmm. Hillary. There have been many moments in history my political beliefs, I'm not going to get into them, but many moments in history that haven't been the greatest for America as far as progression and moving people forward, particularly women. And so we've been dealing with that for five years now. But uh, this, the Roe v. Wade, yeah, I feel like it changed everything, particularly sort of the, the mood and the impact that it has as us as actors on set. It mm -hmm. doesn't seem really like we're telling a story anymore. It seems way too close to, for comfort. It is. And it's hard. Life imitating art and vice versa. It's crazy. Yeah. And then you don't feel as if you can separate it from it. And you feel, as, I'll speak for myself, but I know for my cast, you feel a massive sense of responsibility to play these characters well, but also to make sure that people are strong and stand up and, and we all fight back and there's no resistance. And hopefully we'll send that message through the show, but then also as individuals, when, whenever we get a chance to sort of shout from the rooftops to not ever back down, to never resist. Okay, well, I want to switch things up to a more positive topic and give you your flowers, which are much deserved. Ashgrove. Oh, yeah. This, <laughs> why do you have this surprise look on your face, girl? Yes, you deserve all the flowers and all the props, man. This is a leading role for you. And it's like been a long time coming and everyone like myself and all your fans out there. We're really excited to see this. And you have EP credits, right? 
Yeah, EP and writer, yeah. And the reviews have been outstanding so far. So what does this project mean to you? You know, for the longest time, I think that I was really happy playing supportive characters or supporting characters. You have been happy doing that. Yeah, yeah. I I feel safe. I'm not Mm. the kind of person that is really comfortable being a lead, probably because as I was coming up, I didn't see anyone that looked like me that was a lead. Oh, gosh. Or characters that were interesting or dynamic or nuanced enough to want to play them. And usually supporting characters are the fun ones. And so the lead, when I was, you know, 19 first starting this, I didn't see on television a bunch of black, strong, amazing, nuanced leads. So I just thought maybe I'll just play in the background the whole time. No way. Yeah. It's taken me a long time to say, I not only do I deserve this, but I want this. And so this movie really showed me, particularly with the reviews and the audience reaction, it really showed me that there is space and there is um, an audience for a leading character that looks like me. So it's been sort of life changing. Yeah. And it's, it's just very important that you've kind of stepped into this role and you've, you're filling that void for young BIPOC women growing up. I want to ask a serious question, something that's been swirling in the industry for a long time in Hollywood, but that of colorism. I'd love to kind of hear your personal experience and your thoughts on what you think needs to shift in order for things to be more equitable standing in the industry and anything that you've had to deal with in terms of adversity. I mean, I've been doing it for 25 years now. And so although it's not, you know, 60 years, 25 years, a lot has changed in the last five, let alone 25 years. In regards to what needs to be changed, there needs to be more uh, BIPOC creators, male and female, in positions of authority, which means it producers, writers, directors, decision makers, decision makers, the people that get things greenlit, the people get, that can shape the stories. It's one thing to have a BIPOC character on a show with a white writer sort of guiding that storyline. And that's another thing to have a group of people that understand culturally very specific differences who are able to support storylines from their own experience and their own history and are the guiding force. We still are in a position, especially in Canada, it's getting better, but we're still in a position where there's a lot of white creators telling stories of BIPOC characters. And I think the thing that's really stunned me, especially in the last two years, is I understand that it's hard enough for me But I've had to really sort of look at how it's still quite easy for me to get jobs. My proximity to whiteness, the color of my skin is closer to white than it is someone darker skin. I can throw on extensions. I can, my hair is a different consistency. And that's a big deal for me in, 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 um, casting Ashgrove. We, I really pushed to have, uh, someone South Asian in the cast. Because then to go beyond my own race, really trying to get real diversity, real diversity, not that I don't want to champion for for someone who's like the younger version of me. But I really feel like if you're in a position of power, you need to push to hire someone different. Sorry, that was a long winded answer. No, no, no. I love it. Actually, I have goosebumps. But has there been a time where you've seen the reverse affect you where you were told by casting agents that you weren't black enough? My whole career. Stop. My whole career. At the beginning, it was very difficult. I'll be honest with you. I am the daughter of black as a spectrum. I am the daughter of a white mother. I've never met my uh, biological father who happens to be African-American. And I was adopted by a man who's South Asian. 
So I have a brown dad and a white mom, and I grew up in Whitby. So, oh, I'm from Durham region. As you well. are Ajax. Oh, we must, we might have so... been at the same same things. That you're younger than me, but we like no, no, we're very close in age. I think. Insane that we didn't know That's each hilarious. other growing up because there's not very many of us. But uh, no. so because my family history is also sort of peppered with so many different colors, the way I act, the way I speak, isn't stereotypically what you know casting directors like to think of as urban. Therefore, I'm no, not and you're enough. Canadian, so you just don't have that American accent and use that vernacular all of the time can you be more street could you be a little more urban can you funk it up can you dirty it up and then as of late as it started to get a little more people are you know afraid to be called out it's still can you be uh, a little more gritty grimy and these are for this is not for a thug i would understand if it's for someone who i'm finding these descriptive words problematic Can you gritty it up? What is this role? You know what I mean? How does grime equate to black? Like I just, and slowly, slowly, inch by inch, it's getting slightly better. I do find more roles that come across that are a little more interesting and open and and complicated and not just sort of one stereotypical, they don't have one stereotypical sort of flavor or note to them. That's getting better, but it's not even kind of at the pace or, or enough that, that it's going to make any significant change. Yeah, soon. it seems like we've come so far, but still have so far to go yet. I'm glad you brought up a little bit about your background because that's one of the questions I, the burning questions I had because you didn't find out until you were 11 that you were adopted. And before that, you had no idea you were black. No, I, I mean... Yes, I was black. I didn't realize that there were, I didn't realize that we were categorizing human beings by color. How? Everyone asks that. And my parents, we lived in Vancouver at the time I grew up in, in Vancouver until I was around seven and then moved to Ontario. And at the time, Vancouver was becoming more and more diverse. I had so many different types of colors and shades of friends. My parents were different colors. And so race was never something that we spoke of. My father moved from India when he was young and moved to Montreal and experienced like a considerable amount of racism. And it really impacted him until he just sort of decided to like shut it out. So I think consciously, he didn't want to sort of make me or force me to think that I was going to be thought of less than because of the color of my skin. We, we never discussed race. If I ever had questions of like why mom has blonde hair or why she has blue eyes, he would point to someone else and say, we're all different. We're all different. Never labeling people. The term black I or white, I've never really heard or mentioned. And when you're not um, the idea of racism, race is taught. When you're not actively taught it, when you don't know terms, when you're not ac- actively sort of guided to feel a certain way about a certain type of people, you don't look for it. That is fascinating to me. It's weird, but I'm also slightly envious of that. But then on the flip side, what was it like after the discovery? How did you unpack that? How crazy was that to download all of that? It took me, it was really difficult. I was angry at everyone. I was angry at my parents. I felt like I had been lied to. Uh, suddenly, sort of, it was like a reckoning of realizing the evils in the world. It's better that I, I was able to go through it at 11 years old. I mean, I probably would have found out soon enough. But I was really angry for a long time and then felt incredibly lost, probably until my 30s. Wow. Really lost. Really like, I don't fit in. I don't belong. I'm not a good enough Black woman. And I'm 
and I don't, I don't belong to the white. I, I don't belong anywhere. The sort of just this nebulous floating thing that I don't have a tribe. Oh gosh. Yeah. It was really bad. And I, I think not until I started having children and while I, you know, don't hammer race over the head with them, I flipped it where I, from the beginning have been very open about the fact that they are biracial children and what that means, how it's beautiful, how they're parts of two worlds, just because I didn't, I think I didn't want them to grow up being lost. Lost. So even growing up, you weren't permeated by other kids asking questions. I just like, it's unbelievable. I just don't even feel like that would happen Do you know what, Sasha, I, I, I probably was. I probably was, okay. but I wasn't armed with the vo- vocabulary or the knowledge to answer them. So, you know, when I was six or seven or eight, I I probably had no answer for them. And it didn't even, I didn't know what I was looking for. I didn't know what I was right. being asked. I did, I do recall coming home when I was 10 and asking my mom what the N-word m- meant because someone mm-hmm. called me that on the playground. And I, I remember my mom having mm. a massive reaction, but then stifling it and then giving me some ridiculous information that it was a swear word and it didn't mean anything. She didn't go into the history. She didn't go okay. into like what that word meant and what it, the implications were for me to receive it. And so it wasn't even in the word. It was, I don't remember the her response. I remember her reaction of being scared or being angry and then um, muting it. Basically silencing it. Yeah. So I ended up doing that with a lot of sort of things that were probably inappropriate at the time. But that's where I learned from. And so if there were anything that um, that was inappropriate in, in regards to my race, I would do the same thing where I would absorb it and then silence it until I became older. And then I stopped. And then I got mouthy. <laughs> and I love that for you. We'll be right back. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to My Friends Do Dope Shit. I want to talk about Jude and Phoenix. The boys are so cute. How old are they now? Phoenix just turned eight and Jude is 11. And so you've talked about the conversations or easing into the topics of race and how have they recepted? My, I have a daughter as well. And I, I asked just because she's biracial as well. And I think the one thread and I'm so glad that you mentioned it, that I pick up from my biracial friends is that they've felt like they were like untethered as well, just like not really belonging anywhere. Well, with them, the thing that I love is that they have so many companions with them, so many biracial 
friends. So I was the only one for the longest time in my public school and my high school. And so the fact that they have their own little community has really helped. Did you go out of your way to seek out friends that are biracial? Is that weird? Because like I did that for Maxwell because I want to make sure that she has a crew. No, we didn't. My children did. Or they just got along naturally with the kids that they got along with. But they're all Muslim or biracial. There's nothing else. Wow. Having a brown dad and a, you know, biracial parents. It's just, I think that they also were just like, you look familiar. Let's go. Which is, which is (laughs) (laughs) my only explanation there because we've really fostered open conversations with them since they were young. My ex-husband and I haven't been together in four years and my partner is also an artist. And so From when Phoenix was four and Jude was quite young, there have been really honest, open conversations around politics and race and women's rights and female anatomy. And we're that family. And so with them, in a way, they're sort of, they're almost over-informed where they say probably crazy (laughs) things on the playground and kids are like, whose house do you belong to? But it really, I feel, I just want to arm them. They're going to be giant black men walking through this world. And while it's going to be better, I just want to arm them with as much information in order to prepare them to like move forward in life, feeling good in their own skin, having empathy for the people that don't have empathy for them. I love this. No such thing as over information. Yeah, good. Thank you. You separated from your ex how many years ago? Four. Four. Yes. I separated from mine about three years ago. The pandemic, I can't even the timing of I know, things. I, I know. Just, we've lost two years. You're in this beautiful relationship. I have actually can't even get a date. <laughs> That's not true. Do you have time? You know, you make time for the things that you want to make time for. I would make time for the right person, but it is crickets. Like no one even sliding into the DMs. I don't believe you. I'm dead serious. So I, I'm still adjusting, I think, because the separation was right before the pandemic. So there's nowhere to meet anyone. So it's just been Maxwell and I. How How is your situation navigating after your separation or divorce? co-parenting with your ex and how is the relationship now today? I mean, at the beginning, it was tumultuous and different. We nested for a year, which for people that don't know what that means, it's we share custody of our, our children. And so to get them used to it, he would stay in the house where we live for a week with them alone. I would go somewhere else. I've heard of this. So they So they adjusted to being with one parent at a time, but they weren't taken from their home. They sort of just got used to it. We we had a family therapist for ourselves. We had an individual therapist for the kids. Like I, I oh, really wow. went to town just trying to prepare them for us. As the daughter of a divorce, a very bad divorce between my parents, I sort of just wanted to do everything to help, help them adjust. And it was still awful. There's nothing that you can do. It's, it's the... It's brutal. Yeah. So there's no real adjusting, but they, they got used to it. They understood. And then... The moment that my ex-husband and I split locations, we formed a co-parenting relationship that I'm quite proud of. We speak almost every day, always in regards to the kids. He has met my partner many times. Um, we have Christmas morning together. My mom, my sister, my partner, my ex at his house, and he'll come to our house. We have birthday parties together. When it's a special occasion for the children, they'll never not be without their two parents. That being said, it is work everyone has to agree to show up. 
My ex-husband has to agree to like, you know, play nice. I do. My partner has to agree. Are people in your circle shocked by this? Yes. I have a very similar belief. And very early on, I checked my ego and my hurt and I did the same thing. So, you know, school drop-offs on the first day we do together, all the holidays we do together, we vacation together, anything that I think is going to be important to Maxwell or first. I just want her to grow up not feeling awkward being like, oh my gosh, I really would like my dad to be here, but I, I, I'm scared they're going to get in an argument or do I have to have two separate birthday parties? It's really, as you know, it's really all about the kids, but I feel like I'm not where you are yet. I think even though it has been super challenging, I'm not dating anyone and neither is he. So I feel like the shit is going to turn on its head when one of us meets someone and it's serious. And I'm not, I gotta be honest, as much as I feel like I'm ready to date, I'm not ready for that part yet. I agree. I mean, I my partner is 15 years younger than me. And so he doesn't have, uh, he doesn't have children. So that was quite convenient as well. It's It was like, well, welcoming someone into a family that is a ready-made family. And I kudos to him because he had to adjust to us. It's not like he brought in a family that then I had to adjust to, and then he has children, and then I have to then concede with his ex-partner. That gets crazy complicated. So I think that if anything were to happen with us, I don't think it will, but I, I would actively look for someone who either has mature children or has a great relationship with their ex, because I'm not trying to navigate any more. Noted. And yes, I, I could see that. But you know what? You're doing a great job. And to women like me, it's very admirable to watch. And your current partner is excellent. He seems like he gets along with them famously. But also speaking of family, you have yet to meet your biological father, but you're working on a comedic script about him. Yes, I am. I am. I mean, my biological father passed uh, five years ago, but I only okay, recently so met. That's okay. I didn't know him. It's it's sad in not being able to get to know him. But what I did get out of it was I found my biological sister. No. Mm-hmm. And my brother. There's Shirley and Terry. They live in uh, Chicago. My children kept asking me what. They, their father is South African. He was born in South Africa. And my children kept asking me what my race was. Like, yeah, yeah. I was like, Jamaica, I don't know. Just pick one. I don't know. <laughs> so I finally did, um, ancestry, um, DNA. I knew that I had siblings and I had tried to find them when I was younger and it took so long and it was so emotional because I couldn't find them that I just gave up. And it's been like a 20 yeah. year thing that I just la- laid to rest. Um, so I did ancestry DNA and sent the results off. And I was in LA at the time and I got a, sort of this ping on the app that said, um, you have one new notification. On the Ancestry thing, if you have a link, it'll tell you the percentage. And it said it was a 100% match for being a cousin. Okay. So I emailed her and I said, or wrote her and said, hi, I think I think we're related. My name is Amanda Bruegel. I was born in Montreal. My father, blah, blah, blah. I think we're related. And she said, hello, Amanda. Thank God we've been waiting for you. No, my God. And she said, this is your what? sister. I was in Los Feliz at the time and my sister was in West Hollywood, but we were getting on a plane that morning to leave. So we had just missed one another. She said, this is Wait your a sister. minute, not me crying on oh, a Tuesday stop. morning. <laughs> oh, <stop. No. laughs> mm-hmm. Holy shit. And so my sister called me and said, is it real? Are you real? And I said, are you real? And we talked for five hours and now we talk every day. Oh my God. About three weeks after that trip is when my husband and I broke up and 
it, it was at the time it was really tumultuous. And my sister, my newly found biological sister is the one every day that guided me through that. It's like, this is a movie. I know. I know. <laughs> so yeah, so that's the movie. And my father was a bit of a hustler and a bit of a grifter, but my sister and my brother are phenomenal. And she's, she's my like voice of reason and wisdom. And so she... Are you guys close in age? No, she's 20 years older than me. She's 65. I know. <laughs> Was not expecting any of this. Nobody does. <laughs> Nobody does. It's all very dramatic. I know. And what about Terry? What's his deal? Uh, Terry's just slightly younger. He's uh, wonderful. He's hilarious. He makes me laugh. Um, so they're my biological brother and sister, but then their mother remarried and they went into a family of six other siblings. And so they come from a a very large family too. So I'm always getting sent updates of cousins and all of these people that keep showing up. And it's, it was right before the pandemic. And it was finally the piece of me that lost peace, that untethered peace was found. And people that have my, the shape of my nose and my lips and my forehead and my arms and my, my body, it was like, I'm weeping. I'm sorry. You're so adorable. That is so, so, so special. And I'm so happy for you. And I just feel like the timing and what the universe can do and bring into our life when we're open and we're ready to receive. And that that's just incredible. So the last few years, a lot of us were like forced to look inwards and test who we are and what we want out of life. And we've all, lack of better words, like brought to our knees. I'd love to hear more of that kind of breaking allowed you to rebuild who you are into your 3.0 version or 2.0 version, wherever you are. Yeah. I mean, homeschooling was almost the death of me. I've been very transparent about um, my, like, and I, I hate to use the word struggle, but my long, like, a, adult relationship with mental health. And uh, I... I have issues with anxiety and depression. It's something that I've navigated my whole life. I'm very open about it. I'm, it's not a cross to bear. It's like a, a strange, dark friend that I bring around with me because I can't look at it always as a negative because having that anxiety also gives me drive and it is constantly pushing me forward to sort of, you know, find the light and find the good parts of things. But homeschooling almost broke me because I I have a hard time and I don't know if you can relate to this I suspect you might I have a hard time not being good at things you're you're used to excelling in everything you do you have a high level of excellence and you expect a lot from yourself and you probably expect a lot from the people around you, you so. yeah, yes even more right? which That's is bad even more it's really bad That's because like a whole nother conversation it is <laughs> they don't operate on your level and they're happy and you're dragging them up this hill they'll come yeah. up the hill on their own homeschool almost it killed me it it really did I like everyone was drinking but we started drinking earlier in the day and it was just it was just a disaster and I sort of hit a wall of I have to start admitting to people that I'm not good at everything that starts with myself I have to start asking for help more um and I I also not easy for people like us no at all. It's still a struggle. But what it's done is it's sort of blast open this community of 
people that are are willing to help. It's um, enabled me to start writing more because I had to start jotting down all of these horrible, dark feelings. Um, it's taken my career in a different realm of like creating and writing and taking all of this stuff inside of me that I didn't want to talk about or I didn't want to present because I had to present this perfect image. And I've been able to put it on a page and sh- and sort of siphon it to another place. So it's been a blessing. It sounds cliche. It has because it's taken me in a direction I don't think I would have been brave enough to go without being locked inside day drinking and homeschooling my six year old. Yeah. And now this all kind of makes sense because when you were speaking about the degree that you went through in terms of therapy post breakup, I was like, okay, this woman really is open (laughs) to this. And now it makes sense because you've probably been doing therapy for several years prior. Girl, I was born therapy. Uh, Like just just always, always therapy. And not as a way to sort of just be self-involved, but there are things change in our lives all the time. And I don't, I'm not in therapy, you know, 52 weeks a year, I dip in and I dip out. But if there's a challenging time after my, my adopted father passed, I was in therapy for six months, and then I sort of go away. But it's like, it's a tune up and checking in with yourself. I think it's the most single handedly the most important thing that we have to do. And a lot of us don't do it. It should be literally a requirement. And I feel like the government should give people the resources, at least to you know, have that quarterly or monthly. Something else we're really big on is manifesting. What are you currently manifesting for yourself? Uh, My partner and I are working on developing several television shows. So I'm manifesting my own television show that I've created and I star in. That's what I want. And I don't think I've ever... Okay, you know when people hear this, they're going to be like, okay, she should be manifesting something much bigger. <laughs> I because tell people that say that is... all the time. No, because that is an attainable goal for you. When you s- sort of have never had that vision for yourself, if you've never sort of believed that you were able to achieve that, I think to me it seems like a much higher or larger goal. I also would like to manifest a production company in which I, I develop movies but have nothing to do with myself for other people. There's so many American actresses that have all of their smaller production companies and they star in it to get the film funded. And so I would like to do a version of that in in Canada. I mean, it would be lovely if it was in the States, but like sort of use any sort of status that I have here to really create opportunities for other artists. That's also something that's really big with me. And seeing behind the lens and also being in a position like I talked to, like to go back to the beginning of our conversation, to be in a power position where I'm the creator and then I can give roles to other people. That's a big thing because it's not just going to magically happen. I have mad respect for you. Thank you. That's really nice of you. Thank you. I have respect to you. That's really nice. No, I'm blown away. Kind, intelligent, driven, humble, just all the things. Your your boys are extremely lucky to have you as a mom and you're so inspiring. So keep doing what you're doing and all of us are 100% rooting for you and I cannot wait to see you manifest and your goals come true. Thank you. You too. I feel exactly the same about you and I'm, I'm glad that we have one another because you pull me up and also make me want to keep going. So thank you. Um, but before I let you go... 
The podcast is all about highlighting people doing dope shit, hence the name. So can you list off three dope people that you think I and the followers should be listening or watching? O.T. Fag Benley, he plays Luke on The Handmaid's Tale. He's played Barack Obama on The First Wives. Mm-hmm. He's in WeWork. Yeah. He's, I love that show. Yeah. He's one of my closest friends. He's also a writer and a creator. He created his own show, a British television show called Max. He is poised to blow up in a way where he's the same person, where he wants to uplift other people. He wants to do his own thing where he's he's sort of creating and giving a platform and a space for other people. So he's one to watch. He's one of my favorites. Adrian Moore on uh, Pretty Hard Cases. I play her sister. She was on Orange is the New Black. Hilarious Black woman from New York, uh, smart, uh, theatrically sort of Shakespearean training. Um, Amazing. And just her outlook on life and this career and what it's like to be an actor in your 40s, an actress in your 40s, uh, to be a woman of color. It's uh, She's a wonderful person. She's hilarious and highly uh, recommend following her. And then Naomi Sneakus. I don't know if you know Naomi. I don't know Naomi. She is a stand-up comedian, Canadian. She has a podcast and her own company called The Firecracker. It's all about women empowerment, uh, moving women forward. But it's just really, she just sort of gathers very, very strong, very successful women in the industry to come together and sort of just do this so we can help yeah. one another and also just know that you're not alone and and share ideas and yeah so she's a wonderful one too. amazing thank you thank you so much for taking the time i know how crazy hectic your schedule is so i really appreciate it you're welcome you're welcome this was lovely and i'm so proud of you for doing it. as soon as i saw e1 in your name I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for listening For more episodes, subscribe to My Friends Do Dope Shit on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen. If you like this podcast, share it with your friends and make sure to leave a rating and a review. My Friends Do Dope Shit is produced by Entertainment One. The director of programming at E1's podcast network is Sasha Tong. Executive producers, Deborah Belcourt and Sasha Tong. Producer, Allison Bruff. Associate producers, Adrian Muhajirin and Chris Chu. Edited and mixed by Adrian Muhajirin. Hosted by me, Sasha Exeter. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.